Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 251 of the Fun with Cars Formula One podcast. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man some call the most secure manhole cover on the street, Chris Roche. Hey, Chris. Oh, that's a sore point for some of our, uh, us Williams fans. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, listen, this is a, you're, you're, you're speaking with a fellow Williams fan. Yeah, well. Today, we're going to talk about the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which uh, the more astute of us will know that reference I mentioned about manhole covers, which is the fourth round of the Formula One Championship. And it is Thursday evening, May 2nd. And here are the results of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And it is Valtteri Botas that won the race in the leading Mercedes, followed by his teammate Lewis Hamilton in the second Mercedes. That is four Mercedes 1-2s in four Grand Prix. Uh, the teammates have two wins each. Valtteri Botas has a fastest lap. Valtteri Botas is ahead by a point. That is crazy. Third place, Sebastian Vettel in the lead Ferrari, and there's plenty to talk about there as well. Fourth place in uh, the Red Bull Racing was Max Verstappen, the lead Red Bull Racing Honda, which is Chris Roche's favorite engine. Fifth place, the second Ferrari, Charles Leclerc. Sixth place, Sergio Perez in the lead Racing Point Mercedes. Seventh place, the lead McLaren, Carlos Sainz, followed by his teammate Lando Norris in the second McLaren. Ninth place was the second Racing Point car, uh, with Lance Stroll and 10th place collecting one point is the best driver that ever was Kimi Raikkonen in the leading Alfa Romeo racing Ferrari. 11th place went to Alexander Albon in the leading Scuderia Toro Rosso. 12th place was Antonio Giovinazzi in the second Alfa Romeo. 13th was Kevin Magnussen in the leading Haas Ferrari. 14th, Nico Hulkenberg. And this is kind of sad to say in the leading Renault. 15th place, George Russell in the leading Williams Mercedes, followed by his teammate, Robert Kubica, in 16th and the second Williams. Uh, however, those two cars were the only two that were two laps down. The last four drivers were not classified. That is Pierre Gasly in the Red Bull Racing Honda, Romain Grosjean in the second Haas Ferrari, Daniel Cafiat in the second Toro Rosso, and Daniel Ricciardo in the second Renault. Chris, what do you have to say? The Mercedes machine rolls on despite despite Ferrari's pace. I mean, they uh, if you can score an own goal in Formula One, Ferrari seemed to be making a habit of it. I mean, Leclerc was quick, looked like the quickest driver out there until we get into quali and he stuck it in the wall, right? Even well, Vettel looked like the he first could, parts had the of quali to... as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, he was quick enough to get into Q three even though he only did one run in Q2. Um, and then Vettel theoretically could have got on pole if he'd done a better job in Q3 and got a toe down the uh, start-finish straight, which they reckon was worth up to 0.2, 0.3 seconds. And he wasn't, uh, you know, and that was less than the gap to pole position. So, um, and then their pace, Ferrari's pace in the race was also strong. Maybe not so much on the soft tyres, but certainly on the mediums, it was nip and tuck with Mercedes. Um, so it's a little frustrating for those people out there who who want to see a, you know, a bit more of a battle between uh, teams. But Mercedes at least did give us a good race between the two lead drivers. Um, Botas and, and Hamilton put on a, a pretty good race. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
And I think that really we should start with Friday um, with my opening quip that uh, usually makes you laugh. This time made you cry just a little bit. Um, It was uh, Friday practice. And as I understand, correct anything I get wrong here, Chris, but as I understand it, George Russell was just lapping the track correctly, minding his own business, and was the unlucky one to find a loose manhole cover that was then sucked up by the uh, downforce, uh, the low-pressure zone of the floor of the Williams, which went ahead and proceeded to damage the tub of that Williams, which is not cheap, not easy to fix, and the worst team that that could happen to. So I think the manhole cover was originally loosened by Leclerc, actually. And uh, he, and then poor old Russell was the first to find it loose and, uh, and, and drove into it. So it was dislodged and it was raised up, uh, up enough that he, uh, he hit it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shocking. And then, of course, uh, his teammate, Robert Kubitzer, then, then put it in the wall on the Saturday so Williams uh, only had one spare car, so they'd re- they'd use that spare car for Russell, and then they had to rebuild Kubitz's car to even make the grid. And then to compound errors, they then Kubitz was started from the pit lane. They put him out in the pit lane nine minutes too early, so he got a drive-through penalty in the race. Which yeah, that that one was that one was really hard to swallow because you had you had a mistake sandwich in an uncontrollable era bread so george russell he was just terribly unlucky and then that early pit i mean come what what harm did that cause anyone for heaven's sake oh i know such a petty rule yeah absolutely and you know but kubitsa he 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 stuffed it on his own he did it to himself you look at the video you know obviously you're trying to be quite close to the wall because that um use as much curbing as possible because that Opens up the apex as much as, as possible, but yeah, man, he was six inches off. Yeah, actually, people are starting to take note of Russell's performance. I mean, even though you know he's rooted at the back in the Williams, um, he obviously lost all of FP one and uh, FP two, and yet comfortably outqualified and outraced his more illustrious teammate. Now we all know Robert's history, right? He's he had a long layoff. Uh, with with the injury, and it's amazing he's back in Formula One at all. But the fact that Russell, in his rookie year, is still outpacing him, even even with these types of disruption, disruptions, is impressive. And and I think people are are taking notice of that. So um, so that's good, at least for Russell. Uh, Williams have a long way to go though, and they are in a bit of a mess. They did get a new sponsor though, so it's not all a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not all a disaster, but it's, <laughs> it, it's not good. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I feel so desperately gutted for Claire Williams and more and more people are starting to look at her for blame, uh, you know, and to me, that's, that's rough because the team had a few good years under her leadership and then have been on a down a downward trend in the last two or three years. But for me, I feel like she's been doing a lot of good and uh and uh and just having bad luck and bad fortune with the way that 
the structure of the sport is going, the team's going versus the team's budget. I don't want to put too much blame on Claire. Yeah, you know, I, I'm sort of half with you and I'm half against you. She, she is, you know, her name is above the door. She's a Williams, right? She's a racer like a dad. At the end of the day, the buck stops her with her. You know, Williams doesn't have the biggest budget, but they're still, you know, uh, a team with with incredible resources. Um, let's look at Sergio Perez's weekend, shall we, in the racing point. So he qualified uh, fifth and finished sixth. Um, so, you know, that's what a little team just up the road from Williams can achieve with probably less resources than Williams. So you think yeah, it's I a mean, smaller okay. budget than Williams? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, so maybe this year you could argue they've caught up, but, but, you know, let's talk about, uh, force India for the last couple of seasons. Uh, they've outperformed Williams and for sure, while under VJ Malia's ownership, they were they were not exactly flush with cash. I mean, they they were getting into a situation where they couldn't pay pay their employees right last year, and yet they still finished uh, ahead of Williams in the championship. They finished fourth overall last year. So I mean, they finished ahead of a lot of people. Just to be fair, well, that's right. So it shows you what you can do even on a smaller budget. So. Uh, if you've got a well-organized, well-drilled team with good processes, you understand what you're doing in, in, you know, with your CFD modeling and your wind tunnel work and how to set your car up, and you have a couple of decent drivers, although, of course, um, they only have one this year because they hired Stroll, but we'll come on to that later. Yeah. But, um, but you know, I think, you know, ultimately, Williams only have themselves to blame. The good news is the, the overall company, because it is a, is a publicly limited company in the UK, you buy shares in Williams. You know, they have activities outside of F1. They are a profitable firm. You know, it's not irrecoverable. They're not, they're not uh, in a situation where um, if they don't, you know, if they continue to, to make poor decisions and continue to perform badly and, and don't attract sponsorship, then, yes, the team will die. But I think they still have enough money, enough good people, enough uh, sponsorship to, to figure a way to, to start to turn it around and come back. So I'm, I haven't given up entire hope, but it is pretty depressing watching this. You know, particularly the slowest team. You really don't have to have to go hell for leather, but the, the amount of mistakes they're making, you know, it's just it's pretty hard to watch. Yeah, no, I agree. But um, you're right about Williams in general. I mean, Williams Advanced Engineering is involved with the uh, with the uh, Aston Martin Rapide E. Um, which is part of the, um, part of the, uh, oh shoot, what are they calling it? Uh, uh, Aston Martin has a division that is going to be pure electric vehicles and, uh, and, uh, Williams advanced engineering played a role in building the battery pack and some other bits. Yeah. Williams is alive and well as a whole in general, but their heart and soul is in, um, formula one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know they, they are where they are, and I think that's fair. A fair points about Claire. You know she is the leader, and the buck stops with her. But at the same time, they don't have a technical director right now. And I, I don't know if you have you heard any more about what happened and why with Patty Lowe. No, no, it's gone very quiet since he was uh, shown the door. Um, there's been absolutely no talk about him a recovering, uh, uh, sorry, 
returning or uh, whether or not he'll be replaced. Uh, if, if you, so the, the teams all put out press releases throughout the weekend and the drivers and then the senior staff all make statements. And so you've got people like, um, you know, Benotto for Ferrari, uh, Toto Wolf for, for Mercedes, and then you've got some senior race engineer for Williams. I mean, it's it's kind of laughable, really, that they just found some bloke who was sweeping up and told him to put a well, press release out. I mean, that's I just kind of getting to that point. Do you, do you do you laugh or do you cry? I mean, that's really you know. Yeah, it's getting to so, that. Yeah, you know, it's getting to that point. But anyway, uh, we shall. But to, to backstep just a little bit. To be fair to Kubica, Charles Leclerc also had an off in qualifying, and um, and I believe it was the same corner even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And with Leclerc, it was a little bit easier to understand, at least for the from the commentator's point of view, because um, Leclerc was on harder tires and trying to uh, maintain the same speeds as he did on the mediums or uh, he was on the softs instead of the super softs or whatever it was, the harder of the two car tires. And that's what caused his accident. But um, still, it, it, an off is an off, and Leclerc did it to himself. And Leclerc was pretty mad at himself, you know, and called himself stupid and all these things. And he's not wrong uh, that it was his mistake, but obviously he was a bit harder on himself than he needed to be. So I, I had, I'd heard that he was trying to make a point. So he wanted to put Ferrari into such a position where they couldn't impose team orders on him again. So basically do to Vettel what he'd done in Bahrain, which is, would be the out-and-out lead driver. And he was on pace quicker than Vettel all weekend. But there's no point in being quicker if you then make a rookie error and stick it in the wall. And, uh, um you know, it's it's a real shame. He's gonna. He's obviously desperate for the win, and he's desperate to to get out from under team orders. But you've got to you've got to also be a safe pair of hands. I mean, if you go back to Hamilton's rookie season um, for McLaren, the one thing that stands out was uh, his you know his reliability. He didn't he didn't shunt it. Kept finishing. Kept finishing on the podium. Had I was a really going to say he was... a podium. Yeah, I mean, he was pushing Alonso. And, you know, by mid-season, you know, he was there and, and was, was taking the wins. You, you, you don't, it's a 21-race season. You don't need to, you know, don't need to prove a point by race four. And I think Leclerc needs to compose himself, calm down, just keep keep pushing, but without going over the limit. The more he overdrives, the more he tries to extract the last ounce of performance out, the more chance there is he'll make a mistake. And then, you know, it just falls into Vettel's hands, who says, look, I'm a four-time world champion. I haven't. I haven't crashed this weekend, so you know, back me. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. I mean, uh, that's that's the irony of the whole thing. Is you know, Vettel's set a pretty low bar actually for reliability and uh, you know consistency. And uh, you know, if Leclerc stayed calm and level-headed, Vettel would probably start cracking on his own because Vettel has been having a tough time with that. And you're absolutely right. Um, the only defense. I have for Leclerc in that regard is that all racetracks have their knife edge moments and Formula One cars are obviously not easy to drive and can snap on you in a moment. But Azerbaijan is is the least. I mean, <laughs> that is a hairy place, um, you know, because it's a it's a combination of very tight, 
city street walls right there and some pretty darn high speeds. You know, this is a street course where they're on their full throttle 24 seconds straight at the end of the lap. No, you're right. There's mitigating factors here. And the Ferrari also seems to be hard to set up and get the tyres in the right operating window. And, and the Ferrari's performance on the on the soft compound tyres uh, was not good. Um, I mean, in the race, you know, Leclerc's performance from eighth, you know, he qualified tenth, but he got eighth because of the grid penalties to Honda. <coughs> um, the uh, he got to start eighth and was and got into the lead right during the first round of pit stops, and um, that uh, he, he was very competitive on the medium compound. In, in fact, to a point where it looked like he was going to be able to fight for the race win until, of course, Ferrari you know, compounded their error and left him out too long uh, until everyone had passed him, pretty much. And then and then the, the car just didn't perform on the soft tyres. So uh, he could have had a really strong weekend, and he did do his best from where he started on the grid. Um, so he did do a, a pretty decent recovery drive. But ultimately, finishing fifth when you were arguably the quickest driver up to, you know, halfway through Q2 is a disappointing result for him. Yeah, and let's let's go ahead and get to the sharp end of the grid here because, you know, here we are where, on balance, I think most people would agree that Ferrari has the fastest car this year so far. And in addition I to think that... It's hard. It's, hard. It's, being, it's being made harder to make the argument after four one-twos for Mercedes in a row. But, but yeah, okay, well, we're still of going Of course, and that's, that's, exact, <laughs> that's exactly my point. I mean, because they, they had what seemed like the stronger car on balance, and they brought updates to Azerbaijan, and Mercedes hadn't. They, they're waiting until Spain. So... So here they are with an updated car that many believe was already ba- quicker on balance, and yet Mercedes has four one twos um, out of four races. They've they've had effectively the perfect season so far, you know, save for the oh, two no, fast laps. They've dropped three points. Yeah. yeah yes, dropped. they've dropped. Yes, this is true. <laughs> uh, but but you know, and it's it's kind of amazing, and. I, you're absolutely right about Leclerc's mistakes and Leclerc need to calm down. 100% agree with that. But also, the decisions Ferrari is making, they had him out on that first stint for what was it? I mean, it was more than half the race. It was a 55-lap race, and he was his first pit stop was what, lap 35 maybe? Something like that, yeah. And yeah. In, you could see... You could see the first 25 laps, he was doing very well. The last 10, he was lapping slower. And it was clear that it was hurting him to still be on those tires. And they kept him out. Uh, yeah, and that was definitely a mistake. But they obviously wanted to get him in the window to, to complete the race on the softs. I don't think they realized how slow he was going to be on the soft compound. I think the assumption was, in the normal way it works, right, is that once you got the fuel load burned off, um, and you put this, you know, arguably the faster tire, that tire should be up to a second a lap quicker, that he should have been able to, you know, to, to get back into it and close that gap back down. But he had no pace. When they put him on the, on the first set of softs, he had no pace. They had to put him on a second set so he could have a crack at fastest lap. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it just didn't work for Ferrari. For whatever reason, the temperatures at Baku were quite cool, weren't they, especially as he got later into the afternoon. 
and the Ferrari yeah. just couldn't switch on the soft compound tire, and it just uh, that killed them. Yeah, that's true, and that I think that played a role. I think that played a role in Vettel not being able to do better um, in uh, Q3 because, of course, Q3 actually ended up coming pretty darn late in the day because of the red flags, because of Kubica and Leclerc's accidents that needed to clean up. That probably added between the two of them over an hour. So Q3 happened over an hour later than expected. The sun was getting quite low, and I think the track temperature... Not air temperature, but the track temperature dropped significantly between expected got, Q3 time and actual Q3 time. Yeah, you're right. But the masterstroke of Mercedes was they had noticed that Vettel always went out immediately after their drivers. So they sent, uh, for the second run in Q3, they sent Bottas and Hamilton out. Vettel duly followed them out. So he was going to be third on track, right? He was going to get a Mercedes toe. So... <laughs> Botas and Hamilton both stopped at the exit of the pit lane as if they were going to do a, a dummy start, right? Uh-huh. Practice start. And so Vettel, you know, passed them. So now he's lead driver. And in fact, it almost backfired on Mercedes because Hamilton almost didn't make it across the line to post his, his last run. And he was actually very slow in the first sector of, of, of that lap, which probably cost him pole position. He lost 0.3 of a second to, to Botas on that first sector. But Yeah, but you're right. They, I remember that. Yeah. But but they they sold Vettel a dummy and he bought it and that put him in a bad position for for that run and as I said earlier he didn't get, so he didn't get any benefit from from a car providing him with a draft so um, yeah I mean so Mercedes at the end of the day they're fractionally slower generally but yet they're just doing a better job with the equipment they've got they're being a bit more savvy they're they're operational. Um, Acuity is higher. They're, they're really getting the car into the right zone, maximizing the performance, and it's producing the results. Whereas Ferrari are just some, somehow fumbling it, left, right, and center, and and um, yeah, it's costing them. But you know, the other the other thing, the other thought on that is, you know, you look at the pace between Vettel and the two lead Mercedes. Right, he really only lost out on the first stint on the softs. He couldn't keep with the Mercedes on that tire, but on the on the uh, mediums he could. And when when uh, Hamilton backed off from Botas, um, he'd been running about two seconds behind Botas, and he dropped back to let his tyres cool off. And Vettel was right all over the back of him immediately. Um, so you know they were able to keep Mercedes honest. But if they can switch on that soft tyre uh, more consistently, then they'll be right there. It'll be a real. It'll be a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's that's absolutely fair. Um, let's. Uh... Let's look a little bit at uh, Max Verstappen. He is he is again mixing it up. He's staying close with uh, Mercedes and Ferrari, although they're not quite there. Excuse me. So, you know, if you look at the finishing results, Botas won the race. Lewis Hampton was one and a half seconds behind. Lewis uh, Sebastian Vettel was twelve. Max Verstappen seventeen. Charles Leclerc seventy. So, you had the top four drivers pretty darn close to each other, Max Verstappen, one of them. Um, Honda Power, uh, Honda Engine still holding on, Mr. Roche. Um, well, oh, I'm glad you brought that up because they brought an upgraded engine for this race, race four. Now, 
in case anyone wasn't paying attention, you only allowed three powertrain units for the for the entire season. That's twenty one races, so that's really seven races you want to do on each engine. But yet Honda brought an update for round four. Yeah, yeah, it's going to even be more better, more reliable. It's going to be, it's going to be the bestest. And uh, but joking aside, joking aside, it seemed upgrade. like. Um, it seemed like Pierre Gasly was uh, stepping up. He ended up with a he ended up with a penalty, but you know his racing time in Q one was actually quite good. But I think we need to focus on Honda for a second. So there's no you know we <laughs> talked about this before. Honda's definitely made a step up, right? They, so this was an upgrade engine. Uh, they're still not troubling the top two, are they? Ferrari and Mercedes power. Um, so. STR now on the brink of grid penalties. They change any other powertrain components. They're already into grid penalties, which is a little worrying. And then it's now assumed that Red Bull will need at least four units for this season, probably more than that. So at the back end, they're going to start taking grid penalties too, if if not even by halfway. So, you know, there's still the point is, is that, yeah, Honda's making progress. There's still a long way to go, though. They're still not there on performance, and clearly they need to use more engines than their, their main competitors to get there. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think we all expected that, but those people who might think that Honda are there probably need to wait a little longer. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. But uh, uh, now let's let's talk about Gasly a little bit here. He he ended up with a penalty, couldn't he? So he was out in Q one. But his Q1 time was actually the fastest time. He had a 41.3, and the best uh, anyone else could do was Lewis Hamilton in a 41.6. This is Q1 I'm talking about. And Max Verstappen had a 41.7. But he was on a softer compound tire to those guys, right? He was running soft. They were running medium, I think. Yeah, I know. But he was also – I mean, to me, that's – that's true, but it is still – I think that it's evidence that he is edging closer. To- yeah, and Christian Horner said that, right? He said that he's, he's starting to get he's starting to get, get it together and he, he's uh, more you know, closer to the, the pace he should be on. But, you know, it, the, you know, the question for me is we've had teammates of Max Verstappen who've been on his pace, right? Carlos Sainz, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, this guy – is, is, is still some way off. And I don't see him getting anywhere near Verstappen this season, honestly. Okay. All right. Well, that the uh, uh, that was the next question. Is I mean, it, you know, he's four races in. And, um, you know, with, uh, with Carlos Sainz, uh, they were on equal footing. They were both rookies in the Toro Rosso. And then with Daniel Ricciardo, Ricciardo had more experience than in the Red Bull than Max Verstappen did. Um, so, you know, this is, to be fair, Gasly is less experienced and new to the car. Um, but you don't think, you, you don't, you think for Grand Prix and he should be up to speed, huh? I think he should be closer to Verstappen than he is, right? He's consistently like seven tenths to a second off his pace. That's too much, isn't it? I mean, I'd, I'd accept maybe three tenths, three four tenths. Let's say Max is the you know the, the you know the, the second best driver on the grid, right? So, um, so pretty quick. 
so okay maybe Gasly can't be on his pace but you would expect him to be quick enough to be in the mix and fighting with I mean Leclerc had a bad race 70 as you said 70 seconds off the win you'd you'd, you'd expect Gasly to be able to fight with him but he was never he was never even in the hunt for 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 fifth place was he so that's what you want you want both your drivers to get the car somewhere near where its pace deserves and and he's not at the moment i think he did in uh he did in china right he got sixth place he was comfortably ahead of the midfield pack but here he was you know he was nowhere well i mean yeah and okay. he had but problems. he was also he had a dnf on lap 38 yeah so yeah, yeah. So it's not fair to compare. <laughs> I don't think it's fair to 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 blame him for not be uh, challenging Leclerc when he was out of the race for almost twenty laps by the end. But I don't remember him ever factoring in this discussion for. I don't think he was ever ahead of Perez, was he? And I don't think he was ever ahead of the McLarens. So that's no. my concern: is that he's not able, even though he started. You know, down the order, what he was in fifteenth place. You would have thought, with a top three car um, and the pace advantage they have, he should be making short order of the middle, the rest of the middle pack. And yet, he, he wasn't doing that. I mean, so I got a little stat for you. Last year, two thousand and eighteen, after four races, the top three teams had taken sixty nine percent of the points. This year, they've taken 82%. Their dominance <laughs> just increases, right? Their pace advantage, their reliability, they just soak up the points, right? And that's with Gasly not even really featuring in the first four races. But my expectation is that he should be, he should be always, bare minimum, sixth place, right? Okay. Um, even if you have a bad you know, grid penalty or whatever the case may happen in, in qualifying, we've seen time and time again, top three, teams are able to get in uh, uh, and ahead of the mid-pack pretty quickly, within like 15 laps normally. He's uh-huh. just not getting it done. Anyway, yeah. so I'm not a big Gasly fan. To yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that, no, no. I, that's a, you make me sound like sensitive ponytail man. I, 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 I'm just, I feel like, man, he, he's, he's made a big jump to a very different uh, handling car. And he's got one of the most formidable teammates on the grid. And, uh, you know, he's young as well. So he's, he's dealing with a lot at the same time. That's, that's going to add pressure. But, uh, yeah, no, I get it. Uh, at two Grand Prix in, you were still a tiny touch sympathetic, but we've doubled that now. So, so the sympathy has gone. No more. I, well, I, look, unless, no, no, okay, fair enough. So let me give you a better argument. Look at, look at Norris, rookie, okay? Should have beaten Sainz this weekend. The only reason why he finished behind Carlos was because McLaren pitted him again uh, to put him on soft tyres to see if they could have a crack at Perez. It didn't work out. Norris was uh, fairly cool about it, said it was worth, worth rolling a dice. He didn't mind losing the position to his teammate. But ultimately, he should have finished ahead of Carlos in the race and it was pace, pacey enough to, to do so. You got, as we talked about, Russell ahead of Kubica. We got Daniel Ricciardo is now outperforming Hulkenberg in a car, you know, Hulkenberg's been driving in a Renault for three seasons, right? And we all looked at Ricciardo and thought, what's going on after after a couple of races? Well, he's fixed it now, hasn't he? He's back, back where you'd expect him to be as a classy driver. And as, and as I said, I'm not even expecting Gasly to be on Verstappen's pace. I'm just expecting him not to be a second off it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, to, uh, I, his pace 
was bad, but it, to me, it does seem to be closing. And oh. if he keeps on the pace of closing the gap, uh, you know, then I think he is going to be okay at the end. What it, I think your what you seem to be alluding to is that his pace is closed some, but it is now not. It's not close enough, and it's not close enough fast enough. And uh, I, I, I'm thinking that, let's say by the British Grand Prix, if he keeps up this improvement, you know, he will be only a couple tenths behind Verstappen as opposed to six, six, seven tenths. Okay, so that's I, I quite happily place a wager that he will not be two tenths off Verstappen by the British Grand Prix. So, ooh, all right, all right, this wager. Gentlemen wagers do not do well here. So let's – what are we betting? Let's see. I think uh, alcohol should be involved with this. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so uh, how about a, a real ale flight to the to the winner? No. The I, I want – I don't want <laughs> – I don't want your hot chocolate beer. I, I like it cold. I want uh, – I'll tell you this. I will – I will warm your beer in the oven for twenty minutes if I lose, and <laughs> and if and if and if I win, I want a, a, a gin and tonic full of ice. That's what I. That's that's so. It's, it's gin and tonic versus warm beer. Is the uh, I was thinking. I was thinking of a, a reputable Ann Arbor uh, brewery flight, which wouldn't have been heated in the oven for twenty minutes. But yeah, I <laughs> well. Mean, I, I, <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll work off, we'll work out those details later. But yeah, well, maybe we'll, 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 maybe with we'll have to visit our, our our good Irish buddy, Mister Mister O'Neill, Connor yeah, the second. There you go. Yeah, right. Anyway, all right. Well, go, looking down the grid, uh, you know, it there were real signs of life at McLaren, um, but at the same time, you know, Sergio Perez, I, you know, Force India now Racing Point, they've been strong. And Perez specifically has been strong in Azerbaijan in the past, uh, and and they did it yet again. I, how how do you feel about the Racing Point team uh, for a Grand Prix into the season? Well, it's been mixed, isn't it? I mean, they um, they they said they were a little bit behind in their development. They they're going to bring a big package to Barcelona, so we'll see how well the team is functioning. I think after Barcelona, I think it's too early to say. But right now, they appear to be. Um, you know, they've kept the strengths of the Force India car. The Force India last year ran very well at, at tracks like Baku and Spa, uh, relatively low downforce tracks. Um, and, they, and, you know, they always have done a good job maximizing the performance of the car um, at those types of tracks. And Perez did the same again. And, I mean, and even Stroll had his best race. He finished uh, in the points, right? He got, got ninth place because he's been pretty awful in the... Um, in daddy's team so far this Definitely. season. No, I totally um, agree. But, you know, at least he scraped into the points this time around and was a little bit close to the pace. But, uh, but no, I mean, it was a fine performance by Perez, really. He did a cracking job in quali. Um, he was hounded throughout the race by two McLarens. And, um, and held them off. Held them off, took the points. You know, I mean, there were some people saying he should have gotten the podium, but as I said earlier, the top three are just too far away at the moment. So the top three teams. So, no, he did a great job. Definitely impressed with that. And, you know, if, if uh, Racing Point bring a decent package to Barcelona, they could be leading the, mid, the mid-pack before too long. 
Yeah, well, they are they are currently fifth in constructors. McLaren is holding on to fourth, but just by a point. Uh, McLaren has 18 points to racing points 17, and that yep. compares to Red Bull racing with 64 points in third. So, yeah, uh, right now McLaren is leading best of the rest, but yeah, I, it's it's far from secure for them. Yeah, but I think McLaren's situation's also improved. Last year they they started really well with Alonso, who got the car to places it probably didn't belong. I think we can all see that McLaren's made a decent step forward. They they struggled a bit in China, but in the other three Grand Prix they've gone pretty well. I think they're they're on the up. Um, and um, yeah, things are looking better for McLaren compared to some certainly. I mean, Alpha's got in the points again, doing all right. Renault had a disaster, has had a disaster, um, yeah. you know, this weekend. So, yeah, Renault and Racing Point, uh, sorry, McLaren and Racing Point look like uh, they did deserve to be fifth and sixth, fourth and fifth, even. <laughs> <laughs> well, since since you mentioned Ricardo, uh, you know, pacing Hulkenberg again after a few Grand Prix, yeah. while that is true, that was not a classy move. Uh, on the race in Azerbaijan, uh, I don't it's know. Hysterical. I it was. I'm mean, that was, I, that was laughable. If it was an F three car, I I mean, I saw the action. I'm like, oh geez. Uh, and who did he run into? It was Kafiat? I was like, uh, yeah. I was like, what did Kafiat do here? And then I saw the race replay, and I was like, they missed each other. And then Ricardo backed into me. Well, at speed as well, he's still accelerating when he hits him. Uh, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant uh, reversing. I, I, I was like, okay. The, the, so in the United States, twenty-five percent of all traffic accidents are actually caused by someone backing up. Okay. And that is why uh, NHTSA uh, mandated blind spot monitoring on cars. And that was, that's been mandated since uh, model year 2018. Okay. A little bit of auto industry uh, information. This keeps up. They're going to have to add that. Formula One is going to have to add blind spot monitoring. I mean, that's, that's what it was. I mean, that was, that was a distracted soccer mom just trying to get the kids home. And making making a blunder, right? I mean, that's that's the level of driving that was, and that was Daniel Ricardo. We saw do that. So look, I, I remember a few seasons ago, someone got disqualified because they reversed on the track. So surely, you know, even though he was technically in the runoff area, surely reversing onto the track is still a disqualifiable offense. <laughs> why didn't he just I mean, Why didn't he just go go forward and do a spin turn like uh, Grosjean did uh, in, yep, in uh-huh, qualifying? Yep. I think. Uh, did a lovely job of his spin turn as well. And and then he would have been facing the right way and entering the track going in the right direction. Instead, you know, clearly he didn't use, admittedly, the really small mirrors, but he was just backing up. So he could have, I mean, the pace he was reversing, he could have gone straight out to the racing line and really taken someone out. It was a really odd yeah. decision that was. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. So, um, uh Albon, you know, he got a lot of uh, positive attention for his performance um, in uh, China. How did you think he did here in Azerbaijan? Um, well, he finished 11th, didn't he? He was he qualified. Yep, 13th. just outside of the points. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it was me, I'd put him in the in the Red Bull. 
Wow. Okay. Do you think that highly of Gasly, huh? No, I think that lowly of Gasly. I mean, to me, Gasly. <laughs> that was a sarcastic, that, <laughs> a sarcastic that highly of Gasly. But yeah. Yeah, I, I, he hasn't impressed me. Did he? Did he impress you last season? Just out of curiosity, did did, did Gasly? I think I remember I, one. Yeah, race I thought he was. He quite, was really. I thought he was quite impressive in the Toro Rosso. I remember one, maybe one race where he was outstanding, and the rest of the season not so much. I, I, I'm hmm. surprised he got promoted. I think it was just a dearth of of talent in the pipeline that resulted in him getting this drive. And I think he's going to be gone before two. I'll be actually. I'll double down on my bet. I'd be surprised if he makes the season in a Red Bull. Okay, no. Uh, all right. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I if, if if you're wrong about that as well, because I'm going to say that, <laughs> yes, he will make the season, then I'm I'm going to want top shelf gin. All right. Bottle so, of gin. No. No, that's, that's too much, man. I don't. Uh, no. Okay, sure. Bottle of gin. What do you win? Bottle of gin. Oh, bottle of gin, straight up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair. Yeah. I forgot I was talking with a Brit. I was being silly. It is ironic that you have to say, you know, so Chris and I, we go out and get drinks occasionally. And usually you're getting beer and I'm getting the gin and tonic. Doesn't that seem a bit backwards considering me being American, you being a Brit? Not really. We Brits have quite a reputation with beer too. And well, IPAs sort of devised to while away the long hours as they sailed from England to India. <laughs> oh, so, so the Brits just drink a lot. It's, it's yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many varieties. Yeah, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> fair, fair point, fair point. So yeah, the, uh, only, the only difference is that you prefer more ice in your gin and tonic than I do. I think that's probably yeah, the only well, that's, that's Yeah, but I mean... That, it waters you know, it down. It's less room for alcohol. It's funny... Funny story though. Okay, so I was in Germany uh, the end of last year, and it was the same old thing. I just wanted I wanted my drink oh, to be just a little bit cooler than room temperature, and so I'm desperately asking for ice in my drinks. And if I'm lucky, <laughs> I'm getting one cube. Otherwise, they're out. Okay, there's global warming on, mate. There's not there's not enough ice to go around. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And so anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I go to a, I go to a, I go to a bar and I don't say anything other than I'll take a gin and tonic and I get filled to the brim with ice and then gin and tonic. And I said, ah, so now I know the German trick. If I want ice, I have to get my cocktail. I have to get a mixed drink. So that's the secret. That's how you get ice in Germany. Okay. Yeah. Have you, have you thought about taking your own ice when you travel overseas? Don't don't kid about that. I have not ruled that out, especially <laughs> especially when I go to England in the summer. Don't get me started. Well, good luck finding that. Anyway, <laughs> no, which I, month I, is that? I, I, yeah, right. I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to work really hard to find alternatives to needing ice. Because I am going to be going to the 24 Hours of Le Mans again. And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to have to find a way around iced tea in Le Mans. That's not going to be easy. So, Well, I recall when I went to Le Mans, they were selling toilet paper by the sheet. So I don't know what their, what their process is for ice cubes. 
<laughs> well, when I was in Lamar last year and I asked for ice, they just told me they were out. <laughs> right. So we have none in the whole of France. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So uh, what, what, what can you do? So um, uh, I think there were no other standout performances, good or bad, in the Azerbaijan Grand Prix that I wanted to discuss. Um, you know, Kimi Raikkonen's the greatest. Um, you know, the Haas Ferraris were about where I expected them to be. Uh, Williams is still really hard to see, but it is the reality we're living with. I, I think I think the biggest point that has to be made that I'm surprised we haven't brought up so far is okay. So we have Bottas on pole. We have Hamilton second. The, the you know the five lights go out. Hamilton gets a better start than Bottas and goes down the inside. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, Hamilton's won this, right? No. But yet, yeah, you're but right. yet he allows Bottas enough space around the outside that he was able to hang around turn one and turn two and get better traction and hold on to, to his first place and then go on to get the win. And I was shocked. And, you know, I think a, a lot of people were. And Hamilton admitted that he wouldn't have been so courteous to anybody else that um, he only did it because it was his teammate. And really, it's extraordinary. I mean, Hamilton's a pretty good racer. Clearly, Bottas is, is, no, is no longer a pushover. Or certainly, he refuses to be a pushover. Um, but, it, you know, I was thinking about this, and it was quite smart driving from Hamilton because, you know, it's one point in it now, courtesy of Bottas's fastest lap in Australia. So it's 87-86. Right. They're still on good, they're still on good terms. Right, they're basically putting more distance between them and the Ferrari driver, so they can have a personal battle for the drivers' championship. And at that point, you can get your gloves off. Much better to do it later in the season than early on, and have a you know a Rosberg-style feud where you take each other out in the next race in Barcelona. So maybe it was a maybe it was a wise decision. But I was very surprised that he didn't you know put more pressure on him, close the door, and take the position. I was pretty shocked by that. Yeah. Right. Well, he's showing his maturity, I, I would argue. And uh, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Mercedes is almost three Grand Prix. Well, no, uh, that's that's not the right way to say it. But they're they're um, well, gosh. So they're almost two Grand Prix clear of Ferrari in terms of team points to team points. And they're only four Grand Prix into the season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's kind and of a shocking thing. And. And yeah, if you you know uh, both uh, Botas and Hamilton have more than a race win of clearance between uh, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Max Verstappen, and um, you know obviously uh, from Charles Leclerc as well. So yes, yeah, 30, thirty-four points Lewis has over Vettel, whereas yeah. this time last year it was four. Yeah, and you know the, the worrying thing for for the Ferrari folk out there is that Hamilton only won four races in the first 11 last season. He's already won two and come twice second in second. He won seven times in the last 10 last season. I mean, dominated the second half and he has done that, you know, a few years in a row now. So he just gets stronger as the season goes on. So, um, I mean, Hey, I'm up for a Hamilton Botas, you know, championship fight. I think it could be good. I mean, certainly there's not a lot to choose on pace so far. So uh, Yeah, and let's not forget that uh, Mercedes hasn't brought any developments yet. So That's right. There's a lot to come. So, um, But I think that's going to be it for our Azerbaijan coverage for now. 
why don't you jump into this and bring up Senna? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot written in some of the web, Formula One websites about the 25th anniversary of Senna, Senna's death at Imola in, in uh, 1994. So, um, uh, you know, and quite a few of the... the Journalists that still ply their trade in Formula One today were there uh, at Imola on the day and, you know, recalling the events. And, uh, you know, good to hear also that Roland Ratzenberg is getting a little bit of coverage as well. I saw a nice bio on Roland. Yeah, definitely so. Uh, It's it's such an unfortunate thing that, you know, his death was the day before such a legend because it it absolutely has uh, overshadowed it. And that's unfortunate and unfair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, maybe maybe there's newer F1 fans that aren't as familiar with Senna, but I I grew up watching Formula One in the Senna era. You know, he was already when I started getting switched onto the sport, he was you know the dominant player, and I and I watched the the Prost Senna years when they both drove for McLaren with fascination. Um, and it was, you know, it was a real shock when he died that day. I mean, it was just, uh, I still remember it vividly. Uh, I watched the race live and, uh, um, yeah, it was just shocking, sh- sh- absolutely shocking. And it uh, was events. it was Imola, correct? Imola, that's right. And yeah. Tamburello Corner, yeah. And if I remember correctly, the accident didn't seem that severe at first glance. Well, or, Tamburello or, or was a high-speed like, When you watched it yeah, live. I mean, so Tamburello was a weird corner because it was a long left-hander. It was flat out. And there'd been a couple of nasty accidents before Berger crashed and had a really big fire there a couple of seasons before. Mm. And the way the, cam- the cameras were laid out is you sort of saw the cars going into Tamburello and then you'd see them come out of it. But you wouldn't actually be able to follow them all the way through the turn. Um, but you're uh, right in the sense... Too many blind. Right. It was blind going all the way through. It was, yeah, yeah such, a, such a long, long left-hander. And... You're right. I mean, the way Senna hit was it was a hard impact on an unprotected concrete wall, right? With minim, there's minimal runoff. Well, there was at the time between the track and the and the uh, retaining wall, and there was no there was no uh, even, there wasn't even old tires packed up there because very few people crashed on the outside of that turn, to be honest. So, um, we, we, you know, and the tub itself wasn't compromised. Uh, it tore off the front right-hand wheel, but uh, but the car was still upright. But the, the, I think the sickening thing was you saw the way he slumped in the car that it didn't. That's what gave you the sense it wasn't good because the car itself didn't look that bad, but his uh-huh. his response was what was worrying. Um, and that's when obviously we learned later on that the that the uh, wishbone had, had uh, struck him in the head and that's what caused the fatal injury so Mm. yeah it was a tragic tragic day and um but you know one of the things that i was fortunate in my younger days was i went to donington in 93 which was the scene of one of senna's greatest ever victories where he made the rest of the f1 drivers just look completely ridiculous i mean he just dominated that that race he lapped everyone apart from damon hill who he beat by 80 odd seconds uh, he lapped alan prost who had the superior williams fw15c and he was driving you know a mclaren ford and it was just uh 
that if you if you get a chance, go and YouTube the first lap of that Grand Prix because it's uh, it's just extraordinary. He started fourth, was down to fifth off the line, and by the end of the lap, he's leading by a country mile, and it just amazing, amazing driver. He was a spectacular Grand Prix driver, and it's such a shame we lost him early. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it does explain why he gets so much uh, legendary status and there's so much lore around him because he had drives like that. I remember um, seeing some of his qualifying laps at uh, around Monaco and, mm. uh, you know, some of his performances. Uh, I remember he had one really epic race win and it was a long time coming race win in Brazil. And uh, the amount of effort he put into his qualifying, into his racing, it was it was pretty uncanny yeah you just you, you don't see that anymore yeah i mean i watched recently the last 10 laps of monaco in 92 and that was mansell had been dominating the race in the fw14b which was the class of the field that season and he got a puncture and senna you know senna always excelled around the streets of monaco so mansell after he got uh, new tires fitted came out behind senna quickly closed the gap and Senna was a masterclass of defense around that track even though Mansell was two seconds a lap quicker had no way to get past him and it was just sublime he never made a mistake put the car exactly where it needed to be he was quick where he had to be to prevent an overtaking attempt and uh, just completely controlled it and no matter what Mansell does and and it's just they get so close at points <laughs> around that track uh, it's sublime driving for both of them but Senna was always going to win that race uh, so yeah extraordinary yeah extraordinary so um tip of the hat to iron senna 25 years on his memory and uh you know his his career in formula one still lives on and still lives strong yeah oh yeah absolutely but uh it is time for us to move on the uh the next uh, race in Formula One is going to be the Spanish Grand Prix, and that is coming on the uh, 12th of May. And then we uh, have the IndyCar Grand Prix that is uh, that Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That is uh, May 11th. And uh, World Endurance Championship, that race is coming up uh, just a couple days' time. Actually, no, wait, I'm sorry. I think it's tomorrow at the six hours of spa and then IMSA is racing at mid Ohio on May 5th. And a quick note about that race. Um, that's mid Ohio sports car course. And my, my good friend, Jamie price is going to be shooting, um, uh, that race at mid Ohio. And, um, sometime soon, uh, I'm going to get Jamie on the phone and we're going to talk about a little IMSA racing. So, uh, Chris, you'll get to, you'll get to hear us talk, couple of Americans talk about American sports car racing. That's exciting for you. Um, and I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars and Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, man, Chris, another great hour. And some and some good wagers going on. I'm looking forward to the gin. <laughs> yeah, so am I. <laughs> I'm Ron Warner. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.